Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. All right, meet me this morning in Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bible in front of you in your living room, uh, uh, your bedroom, your backyard, wherever you might be, meet me in Matthew chapter 1. As we get into, again, week three of Advent, our theme this week is joy. Now, before we get to all of that, I do want to give just one more announcement and update. Right now, I am standing in the downtown center here at 132 E Street in Davis. We've been, Discovery's been in this this particular address for almost 10 years. In fact, we're one month away from the 10-year anniversary of being here uh, at the downtown center. We are, however, going to be leaving the downtown center on January 31st. So for those of you who have been around for a while, you, you, you've probably been in here, you, you've been to meetings here, you've been to parties here, whatever it might have been. Uh, but it is time for us to move on from, uh, from this space. We've had to sign five-year leases the last uh, two times we've uh, agreed to be here. And uh, as, as good as this space has been for a whole bunch of different things, we are very excited about having the flexibility that comes with no longer being tied in to a five-year lease. We're just going to be moving down the street, uh, uh, 2nd Street, um, in the Golden One Bank building. There's some office space that we will be taking over there. It's month to month. It gives us a lot more flexibility as we discern and pray through what our next, uh, our next things might be. So I just want to say a couple things. Number one, this is not about, we're not in a financial crisis or anything like that. And also, we're not getting kicked out. The, the, in fact, the landlord here was kind of sad to see us go. Um, they've really enjoyed having us use this space for the last 10 years. But we did feel like, you know, it was time to get ourselves into a situation where we are more flexible so that we can make some strategic decisions about staffing, uh, about future building sites, uh, about ministry opportunities that are before us in the coming year. We want to make sure that we can, you know, say yes to the things that we want to say yes to. A lot of, a lot of uh, moments in the last three years, we've come to like a, a, an important moment and been like, should we do this? And it's like, well, but we still have two years left on the lease at the downtown center. So this is going to free us up to do some more, uh, you know, strategic, relational, ministry-oriented things um, that we're really excited about without feeling like we're tied into uh, this space for the long term. So all I've had to say is if you have questions about the downtown center and our new office space and just kind of what's going on with all of that, please feel free to email me, email the elders, elders at discoverydavis.org. We can fill you in if you have any follow-up questions as well. We did want to let you know about that. We'll have more to say about this when we get to January. We're probably going to do some things to just sort of like uh, uh, sort of bless and send off this, uh, this site because, again, it has been a good gift to us for a long time now. All right. Now, Back to Matthew chapter 1. Before we get into the text, let's pause here and pray for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would help us to, to pause and slow down and to be open to what you want to say to us this morning. 
as we're in the middle of Advent, preparing for Christmas, uh, wrapping up finals, things are busy, we got places to go, people to see, and there's a lot of wonderful things that go along with all of that, but there's also a lot of heaviness that we all feel <clears throat> and bear during this particular season, God. So I pray that you would take those things that we hold, that weigh us down, that you would hold them for us so that we can be free to be present in this moment, to hear from your word, to hear your spirit speaking to us. And then God, give us the courage to respond in whatever ways we need to respond today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. The brilliant American writer Wendell Berry says, we live the given life and not the planned. We live the given life and not the plan. Now, what he's saying there is not that plans and goals are bad, but this is, I think, his take on the New Testament writer James, who says, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes, James 4.14. Now, that might sound pessimistic, kind of a dark way to begin talking about the Advent theme of joy, but the writers of Scripture agree that wisdom is found in recognizing we are not in control. We are not in control. Wisdom is in accepting the givenness of life. We live the given life and not the planned. Now, back to Matthew chapter 1. We begin in verse 18. This is Matthew's telling of the birth of uh, the birth story of Jesus. And we're actually going to go into chapter 2, but we begin in, verse, or in chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now again, we're going to make our way all the way through the end of chapter 2, and Matthew's telling of, of the, the nativity story is pretty amazing. It's sort of like the anti-precious moments nativity story. And we're going to move through this uh, by looking at three characters and then five words that go with each character. So the first character we're looking at is Joseph. And the first word for Joseph is the word dreams. Okay, three times in chapters one and two, God speaks to Joseph through dreams. And here's the thing, each time kind of ruins his life. <laughs> Right? It comes to him in a dream. Your fiance is pregnant, and it's not yours. Comes, in, comes to him in a dream a little bit later. Flee for your life to Egypt. Comes a little bit later. You're going to move back 
to Galilee. Whatever plans Joseph had for his life, they keep, get, they keep getting interrupted by this angel showing up in his dreams. First word is dream. Second word is fear. Fear is a totally natural reaction when things do not go the way we planned. Now, Joseph is told to not be afraid, right? Verse 20 in chapter 1. And we don't totally know what he does with his fear, but we do know Joseph does what is asked of him. Each time that angel shows up, he is obedient. Fear and obedience can exist next to each other. You don't need to be unafraid to do what God has asked you to do. Third word is refugee. Now, refugee is a person who has been forced to leave their country in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus are refugees. Refugees fleeing the murderous intentions of Herod. And we'll get to that part of the story here in just a moment. Fourth word, Nazareth. Unlike many refugees, Joseph does get to go back, but sort of. He's told at the very end of chapter 2, the last couple of verses there, he's told to settle his family in Nazareth, which is that place where, where you're like, I, I'll never, I would never live there. <laughs> I could never live there. Funny story, when I was growing up, Davis was one of those places. I grew up in, in, in the central coast of California. So many people from where I grew up came to UC Davis for school, and I just didn't want to do what everybody else was doing. So I was like, I'm never going to that place. And of course, here we are living, working, doing life in Davis, California. That was sort of what Nazareth would have been like for Joseph. Final word, fulfilled. First century folks uh, undoubtedly have a different, had a different definition of fulfillment than what we do today. But it's hard to imagine Joseph feeling personally fulfilled, right? He had plans. He had ideas. I want to get married. I want to have some kids. I'm going to make some furniture, live this quiet life in my village with my family. And then this angel shows up in a dream and the life that he is given is totally different than what he had imagined. It's full. It's very full, but it's full of scandal and danger and fear and miracles and angels and adventures. (laughs) Throughout chapters 1 and 2, we see that repeated refrain, this took place to fulfill five times. Three of those directly pertain to something that happens to Joseph. It may not have been the life he planned, but it was a full-filled life. A life completely immersed in God's story and God's plans. We live the given life. Now, next character is Herod. Herod is this huge contrast to Joseph. We're in chapter 2 now. Look at verse 3. First word for Herod is the word disturbed. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and then these magi, these wise men, who we'll look at in just a moment, they show up from an unnamed eastern country. They start asking questions. Hey, we hear that there's a new king of the Jews. Where is he? We want to worship him. And Herod is thinking, yo, I'm king of the Jews. What are you talking about, new king of the Jews? Now, the Herods, Herod's not his actual name. That's a title that was given. The Herods were a puppet dynasty installed by Rome to help manage the Palestinian territory and their larger empire. They had some power, the Herods did. 
but they lived this tenuous existence, hated by the Jewish people that they ruled, but then also very much at the mercy of the Roman Empire, which leads to the second word for Herod, which is the word paranoid. So disturbed and paranoid. Herod does what so many people in power do when they feel threatened. They start these investigations, right, behind the scenes. What's going on? He wants to know, who is this Messiah? What is this king? Not from genuine interest, but because he's worried, right? He's paranoid. What's going to happen to me? What about my power? What about my throne? This leads Herod to lie. Third word is lies. Herod claims that this search is about worshiping the Messiah, but in the end, he just really wants to stamp out any opposition to his power. When he realizes that he's been played by the Magi, this is uh, towards the end of the Herod bit of the story, verses 15 and 16. By the way, the Magi were told, don't go to Herod and tell him where Jesus is by an angel in a dream. But when Herod realizes what's happened, he becomes furious and he goes on this murderous rampage ordering all the boys in Bethlehem under the age of two be killed. Remember, Pastor Antonio referenced this last week in his teaching, right? This is sort of the ugly, disturbing part of the Christmas story. But then, but then Matthew, in this very low-key way, throws this bit in at the end, verse 19, after Herod died. After Herod died, that's the last word on this Herod, dead. Like so many others before him, so many in power before and after him, Herod meets our common fate, death. One of the sort of defining characteristics of his rule was death. Now the final characters, final character, the Magi. First word about the Magi is intelligent. It's unfortunate, I think, that oftentimes the Magi are sort of cast as these like modern day astrologers, you know, kind of like, woo, you know, looking at the stars or whatever. But they were, they were very educated, highly trained people who, yes, were interested in the universe, but more as a scientist than as a fortune teller. So these are smart, trained people. They have resources in order to make this journey and they are seeking something. So they're intelligent and they're seeking. Now, there's a lot we don't know about the Magi. Most scholars, though, are in agreement that they traveled hundreds of miles, maybe all the way from modern-day India or China. And while they are wealthy and educated, they take a great risk uh, in setting out to seek the answer to their questions. They go on a journey that, that most likely took years, not days or weeks or months. And it was a journey that left them wide open to looking very foolish. But when they come to the end of the journey, they meet Jesus, and this is the third word, they worship. They worship and bow down. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2. They worship and bow down. They demonstrate their authentic worship through their generosity. That's the fourth word here. They open their treasures. Look at verse 11. They open their treasures and presented Jesus with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when they find Jesus, when they come to the end of their seeking, they're overjoyed. Look at verse 10, fifth word, overjoyed. Now, these characters, Joseph, Herod, the Magi, none of them planned on being part of the Christmas story. 
None of them planned on this. And they help paint a picture of two ways we respond to the givenness of life. <clears throat> now, quick pause here for a moment. Our Advent theme this week is joy. And I just got to be honest with you. When I, you know, when we laid this out and I got this assignment, I was not overjoyed. <laughs> now, I'm really encouraged by where we are as a church. I'm excited about the coming year and the future. But let's be real here for a moment. It's been a hard two years, right? It's been a hard two years. When I think about our pandemic lives and the impact that it has had on us individually, and I know many of the stories of the challenges that you have been facing during these last two years, when I think about the impact that it's had on each of us, when I think about the impact that it's had on my kids, the impact it's had on our church, joy is not the first thing that I feel. <laughs> It's been a hard couple of years. Pulling back the camera for a moment, October 19th, so a couple months ago, three organizations representing child health practitioners declared a mental health state of emergency for youth between the ages of 12 and 21. D different mental health issues, the rate of suicidal ideation, it's just skyrocketing right now. We had another terrible school shooting, you know, a couple weeks ago. I had a call this week with a dear friend from, from Boston. We served a church there together for almost 10 years. That church might not make it out of this pandemic. We live in a divided time, a confused culture, a chaotic world. I'm not trying to be a downer here, but just being real, these are not joyful times. In our own ways, in our own circumstances, every single one of us is grieving. Right? Grieving the disruption of lives, jobs, plans, dreams. This is not what we this is not what we plan for. Are you with me? For me, for me, one of the themes of the pandemic is anger just been feeling angry a lot and having to sort through, okay, what is that all about? Why, what am I so angry about? And, and, and then also, how do I feel what I'm feeling, the grief, the loss, the anger, the lack of joy, but then not fall into despair and bitterness and cynicism? How do I feel those things, be honest about those things, but not fall into despair, bitterness, and cynicism. Now, here's the thing. It's easy to read Matthew 2 and think, wow, man, Herod is a monster. Because he kind of is, right? <laughs> but then I look at my own life and the ways that I rage against the givenness of life and how I hold on to my plans with tight fists and I wonder, okay, where's the joy? See, there's this massive difference between Joseph and Herod. Joseph accepts the givenness of his life. He's open-handed. But Herod, close-fisted, rages against the givenness of life. And if I'm being brutally honest, I respond a lot more like Herod than I do like Joseph. Now joy, the word joy, in the Greek, shares the same root as some other great words, gift, 
and grace. Joy is the word kara, grace, charis, gift, charisma. Kara, charis, charisma, joy, grace, gift. Joy is given. Joy is given and joy is received. It's not something we manufacture or work our way into. There's this sort of punk rock defiance to joy. I'm going to receive this gift no matter what, even if I have to flee to Egypt, even if I have to live in Nazareth, even if we have to live through a pandemic, I will, I will uh, steadfastly remain open-handed to the given life. We have the contrast between Joseph and Herod. We also have the example of the Magi, these seekers who go on this long, foolish, risky journey. But then when they meet Jesus, everything changes. They bow down. They worship. They open their treasures. They are overjoyed. Here's the thing. We don't need a motivational speech or an inspirational poster to get us psyched up and be more joyful. What we do need, what we do need is to experience Jesus through seeking, worshiping, giving. The Magi seek Jesus, experience Jesus, bow down to Jesus, worship Jesus, open their treasures to Jesus. And the result of that is joy. Joy is given and received. Now, speaking of giving and receiving, one of our local partners is World Relief. We've been working with them over the past couple of months, particularly in their warehouse, as they take on this huge project of helping resettle Afghan refugees, people who have had to flee war and persecution, just like Joseph and Mary and Jesus. Now, World Relief has had those tangible needs, you know, to do a couple projects to help them get organized, but they also have financial needs because a lot of what they do is, is, is support these families through grants and loans that help them get into housing, that help them get job training, help buy supplies to start as they start their lives over. So what we are going to do as a community this Advent is we're going to donate all of the giving from our generosity fund starting today, December 12th through Christmas. We're going to donate all of our generosity giving to World Relief. And our street team is going to use some of our, our care and compassion funds to match that up to $2,000. My goal is that we get to that, uh, we get to at least $4,000, but I hope $5,000 to, to uh, continue partnering with World Relief in this work of caring for Afghan refugees as they resettle in our area. But here's the thing, friends. Joy especially right now in Advent, it's not about putting on a happy face and pretending like everything is okay. It is about experiencing Jesus, seeking Jesus, worshiping Jesus, opening our treasures to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we do admit that, that the last two years have been hard. And it may not even be because of the pandemic. It may be because of so many other things that have happened. But all of us are working through, continuing to process through the grief, the loss, the transition, the disruption, the life that we've been given, not necessarily the life that we planned. 
And yet it's in receiving the givenness of life that we do experience joy. And even more specifically, it's in encountering Jesus and all of the surprising ways that he shows up in our lives that brings joy. So Father, may we not look for joy in how well things are going and how good our life looks and how beautiful and awesome this season is, even though it is. But may we find joy in your son Jesus, in our experience of him, in the surprising ways that he shows up in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we get ready for communion, kind of a silly story. My, my kids, they love to do this thing right now where they hide you know, behind a corner and then, and then I don't know that they're there. So when I come around the corner, they jump out. Ah! Scare the, you know, uh, they call it the heaven, the heaven daylights out of me. <laughs> right, but you know that moment when someone's sort of hiding somewhere and they pop out and they scare you? What do you, what do, you do? Usually you scream or if you're a parent, you try not to say a bad word. But then there's this like relief that rushes in and you end up kind of laughing, right? Like there's this giggle, this laughter, this release because of the twist, right? The surprise, fear, what is happening to me to, oh, it's you, it's my child joy. The good news of Jesus, the gospel, follows the same kind of pattern. What appears terrible or terrifying at first, death on a cross, turns into the best news possible. Resurrection. Easter Sunday. Now speaking of Jesus' death, the treasure the Magi bring is so interesting. They bring gold, right, this gift for a king. They bring frankincense, a gift for a priest. It was used often in worship, but then they also bring myrrh. And myrrh is like the weird kind of outlier here. It had many uses, but it also shows up twice at the end of Jesus' time on earth. The first, when he's on the cross, he's offered wine mixed with myrrh to help numb his pain. You can see this in Mark 15, 23. It's also one of the spices used to anoint his dead body. John 19, 39 and 40. The gifts of the Magi represent the great twist, the surprise of the Jesus story, this reality that the Savior, the King, was going to die. Just like Herod, just like any other king, but then unlike any other king, this king, King Jesus, doesn't stay dead. The Magi are recognizing this baby is going to bring salvation through his death. They are preparing him for his ultimate fate. The light of life would defeat the darkness of death through his resurrection, bringing forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. Shock, surprise, fear, but then the twist. Resurrection and joy. So as we get ready for communion, as we gather around the table, we come to the table this morning to receive. We come to the table this morning because we aren't feeling it. Because we aren't experiencing joy. Because we need this grace that only comes through Jesus. We need to be surprised again by the scandalous good news. That Jesus came to die, but he doesn't stay dead. Christmas to Good Friday to Easter. So come to the table, and when you are ready, receive the gift, the body and blood of Jesus.